Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them with me to this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. We're, we're in the sixth chapter today, and uh, as we start, I, <clears throat> I'm going to say that I have bad news for you today and good news. So let's maybe read the text first. How about that? All right. I'll just lay that out there. Bad news and good news today. This is, these are the words of Paul. And I can imagine, you know, I believe that he wrote this while he was in chains, jail, house arrest, whatever it was. And so I think maybe when you're when you're chained up to something uh, in prison, maybe words mean a little bit more. I don't, I don't know. I've talked to some people who have been in jail, who have been out of jail, and they have reported that uh, they thought about things maybe in a more clear way than they had ever thought before. So I imagine that as Paul, Paul may be wondering, is this my last day? I wonder if they'll just end it today. He's pouring his heart out to this church that he planted in, in Ephesus. And, and so we're, we're at the very tail end of this letter in Ephesians 6. And, and he writes, finally, he str- Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength. Put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil that are in the heavens. Therefore, pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day and after you have done everything possible to still stand. So stand with the belt of truth around your waist, justice as your breastplate, and put shoes on your feet so that you are ready to spread the good news of peace. Above all, Above all, carry the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. As for me, pray that when I open my mouth, I'll get a message that confidently makes this secret plan of the gospel known. I'm an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel. Pray so that the Lord will give me the confidence to say what I have to say. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I, I said I have some good news and, and I have some bad news. And I, I was, as I've been up and about this morning, I've been thinking about uh, the fact that it's 
it's kind of a hallmark holiday. It's Father's Day, and well, I guess that that means a little something to me. Um, two of the best, yet uh, two of the hardest things that I've ever done or tried to be in my life, one is a good husband. Sometimes I think I do okay. Other times, you know, isn't that a struggle we all have, guys? Uh, And the second thing that's one of the best things, brings a lot of joy, uh, but is also particularly difficult and challenging is being a dad, being a parent. Um, There is so much going on in our world that it... There's so many things that are competing for our kids' minds and attentions these days that to uh, patiently lead and guide and teach our young ones what it means to follow the Lord is particularly challenging. Uh, Both of these things, being a, a husband and a parent, are things that we enter into and, and they are, they are long-lived. These, these are journeys that you're on for the long haul. It's not a, uh, it doesn't all get wrapped up nice and neat in a you know, 30-minute television show. It's something that you enter into and it takes a serious amount of time and energy and commitment. And I'm reading this today, and I'm thinking of it in the, in the context of um, being a dad, this text. What are we trying to teach? How are we trying to live our lives uh, in the community of believers, in, in our families, in, in our workplaces, in, in the world? Um, I look around, it, 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 it just struck me. It's been uh, several months, but my whole family's here today. I love it. Um, two, two of my kids are here purely by choice because they want to be here. <laughs> the third one, he's, he really wants to be here. He's the one who, on Sunday morning, he's uh, the second one out of bed on Sunday mornings. Usually he's the first one out of bed every day of the week. Um, Sundays, I'm, I'm up and about pretty early. But he comes with me every Sunday morning and helps out getting things organized and ready, and I appreciate that a lot. So he wants to be here, I, I know that. But he also knows in the back of his mind that there's not really much choice in it. This is who we are, and this is what we do. And we are bringing him up in that way. And it's part of that consistency. And um, it's just good to have all of my family in, in the same room today. Um, there's good news and bad news in, the, in this text. You want, let's start with the bad news. Probably a good place to start, because then we can, you know, end with the good stuff, right? Go along with me. The bad news 
is that we are under severe attack. There is this battle that's raging out there, out in the world. Most of the time we can't uh, really see it. We, we see the results of the battle that's raging. Uh, but we don't always see where the evil is coming from or where it's worked its way into. Um, we're not fighting against people or governments or things like that. What Paul says is that we're, we're, the battle is against uh, the rulers and the authorities and the forces of cosmic darkness and the spiritual powers of evil that are in the heavenly realms. He's saying that there is this darkness out there uh, that is evil. Now, when I have conversations with people about spiritual warfare, most people have one of, of two responses. Well, the first is to kind of sweep it under the carpet. Ah, you know what? I'm not convinced that that's a reality. I don't know if that's true. These kind of people would prefer the cartoon version of the devil wearing the red suit, the horns, and the pitchfork. Because when, when you reduce the devil to a cartoon, it's much easier to dismiss as, ah, that's just a bunch of nonsense. On the other side, there are some people who uh, are totally into the reality of the spiritual warfare, uh, and, and they take it to a, maybe an unhealthy extreme of, it becomes a, a fetish of, of sorts. And <clears throat> when I look at the pages of the New Testament, you don't get either of those two extremes. The New Testament writers present it to us as a matter of fact. This is a battle that's raging. You need to be aware of it because it's coming to your door. Uh, they don't spend a lot of time unpacking it or you know, just dwelling on it, it's, it's just a reality that is there, and so we need to be aware of that. And when I think about being under severe and heavy fire, uh, that's not really good news. That's, I put that in the bad news category. Now, Paul has written this very nice letter. It's been one of uh, instruction to the church on how to live a godly life. How do you live this Jesus life in culture? And he's done a very beautiful job of describing what it means to live this whole new life, uh, which is made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's been writing to this church about. But he closes out this letter uh, and he wants to make sure that we don't get fooled into thinking that just because we have this new Holy Spirit-empowered life, that it's going to be easy. He ends, finally, I want to tell you about this battle that's going on that's out there. So all these things I've been teaching you, it's not going to be a walk in the park. This is not like playing wiffle ball on Sunday afternoon in your yard. There's going to be opposition, and there's going to be adversity, and it's going to be intense. 
and you need to be aware of that. This is a, a life and death situation, uh, <clears throat> and you need to be aware that you're going to have to armor up for this one. You've got to put battle gear on if you think that you're going to uh, be able to survive. Now, we need to, as we move forward, we need to remember that Paul's letter is um, first and foremost uh, plural. And what I mean by that is Paul is writing to a church. He is not writing to any one specific person. So when we read Paul's letters, we need to imagine that us collectively are following the instructions. Now, yes, we can apply Scripture in the singular. We can apply the same principles to our lives individually. But Paul is writing this letter to the church, and so we hear it first in terms of, if, if you look around, Paul is saying, y'all, pay attention to this. Y'all do this. And then we can certainly take that um, from the plural down into, okay, so how does that affect my life in particular? I know that the church... Uh, has provided strength for me throughout my life. Knowing that there are other people, there are other believers who are struggling with similar things. Maybe we're struggling with things that are slightly different, but we all have our own struggles. But we all come together on a regular rhythm and routine for the same purpose. And we are fed, and, and we lift God's name in praise. And we do this collectively. And when you do something together with other people, it gives you encouragement and strength for your journey. None of us could get through the Christian life if we were disconnected and totally on our own. Paul is saying here, put on the armor. You, you, the church, are under this heavy attack of the devil, and there's no way that you're going to survive unless you do this together. There's no way that you're, you will get through your Christian life um, Without a church, without being connected to the body of Christ, you, you can't do it on your own. So you can apply this both in a plural sense, but also an individual. It's hard enough for the church to come together in a plural sense and make it through. There's absolutely no way that we can go it alone. Paul says that we need to, to be aware and be ready to stand against the tricks of the devil. Uh, the devil has schemes. The devil likes 
um, to play games. He's full of shenanigans. And the Bible says that he, in other places, says that he prowls around like a lion looking for something to devour. That something is you and me. I prefer to think about it as he's looking to devour you, but I know it's... I know it's me included with that. I'm not sure, people have asked me this, I'm not sure how the devil and his minions have access to our minds. My, my theory is that we give him access. My, my theory is that in a weak moment, in a vulnerable time, um, the devil comes to us. He doesn't have access to our mind yet, but you know he starts to um, present things to us, and they look so good and appealing, and they feel so right that we we just open ourselves and we fall prey to his tricks. He looks so enticing and. Um, he makes our selfishness seem so good that we just open the door for him. Paul gives more information here in these couple of verses than, than maybe we would get on a surface reading. In the, in the old language, uh, it says that, um, Paul says, stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, it's, we don't usually use the word while anymore, except when we're watching Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner. You know, while e coyote, right? It's the same word, wily coyote. He's full, I mean, he claims to be this super genius, right? But most of the time, he outsmarts himself and, uh, outsmarts himself and he really wants to have Roadrunner for dinner, but he he comes up with all of these schemes, but for him, they never seem to work out. While, he ca- while, is, um, while is a devious and a manipulative strategy that the devil uses to trick and persuade you into doing what he wants you to do. Watch out for the wiles of the devil. The Greek word that Paul uses here is methodios. And methodios is, if you... If you take that word, you can hear another word in it, method, okay? So you hear another word in there, our English word method. But you have to break down this, uh, this word, and it's made up of two Greek words that are jammed together. And the first one is meta, which simply means with. The second word is hodas, which means road. Which, you know, when I first figured that out, I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't... We're talking about schemes and tricks and why. I mean, how do we get how do we get to there from with a road? Now you got to think about that one for a while. Paul's telling us something here. Paul is telling us that when the devil puts his subtle and tricky schemes to work, he does so on a road. He has a path. He has a plan. He seeks an inroad into your mind. 
He has a method about him. When you go on a trip, well, I know when I do, I'm, I'm a map geek. And so I'll sit down at night and I'll open up an atlas. And if I'm going somewhere, I know exactly which road is going to get me there. I think the devil in his schemes plots out the best road into your mind. The devil operates on a road. He's this traveler who uh, travels on this road and, and, and he has one destination in mind. He has one direction in mind and, and that's inside your head. And if you take this further, uh, if I'm reading my Greek correctly, it's singular. It suggests that he only uses one road. He's a one-trick pony. We, we think about the devil having multiple tricks and schemes and ways to get at us, but Paul is telling us, no. He has one road that he travels over and over and over. And when you, if you ever travel the same road over and over, you know that road, don't you? And if he only has one trick, one scheme to get at the inner recesses of our mind, I believe that he knows it inside and out and has mastered it. When I think about this word methodios, and, and, and if we think about it, even with our English word method, Method is something that you can't see, right? You, you only see what a method accomplishes, the end result. And so what the devil does is he hides the evil within the method. So once it gets to its destination, it, it kind of explodes, and then, and then you see the results of, of his tricks and his schemes. So that's what the devil is up to. He has this one road, this one trick. You want to know what it is? Deception. Deception. He's a liar. He's a liar. But he's really good at it. His ability to present a lie as truth confuses us. We think, one, we think it's one thing and then something else just happens. It's hidden within his scheme and we see what it accomplishes. Temptation enters in and it looks so good. But then when we follow what we think is good and then there's consequences sometimes, right? When you experience the consequences, that's when you figure out, wow, that evil was trapped inside something that looked, it was a lie. I was deceived. This, Satan wants to control your mind because he knows that if he gets your mind, it will affect everything else too. He knows that if he gets your mind, that you will now be uh, his captive. And when that happens, and he has you prisoner, uh, and he's able to feed things to you, um, it starts to change your reality. Because he's worked his way in, and now you reap and suffer consequences. For example, 
If the devil works his way in and he wants to convince you that you're a failure, over and over and over again, he will find ways to tell you you're a failure. You're a failure. Look at that. You didn't do really well at that. Look at your marriage. Look at your job. Look at your bank account. You're a failure. And if we start to believe that, and he just is repeating that incessantly inside our mind, what happens? We start to believe it and we start to act like a failure. Ultimately, if that takes root and, and we leave it there, we stop trying altogether. I was thinking of, uh, of an example of how the devil works his tricks. The Bible tells us that when we confess our sin and repent of it, that God forgives us and removes our sin. You believe that, right? And the Bible tells us that when God forgives us our sin, he will remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. That's in Psalms. The Bible tells us that God erases the record of our sin by nailing it to the cross of Jesus. When we confess and when we repent, God takes that sin, cuts it out, and removes it from us so we don't have to remember it anymore. There's a verse... Uh, in Micah, and, and the verse, Micah, Micah 7, 19 says, God will hurl all our sins into the depths of the sea. So if God forgets about our sins so completely, it's like he buries them at the bottom of the ocean. And so some scholars and theologians have, have kind of called, uh, have, have named this the sea of forgetfulness. So there's our sins at the bottom of an ocean. And of course, it's a metaphor. Um, but if you think about that, if you play with that metaphor a little bit, can you, can you imagine the water quality of the sea of forgetfulness? I mean, I dump my sin in there, and you dump your sin in there. We take the sins of the church throughout time and we put them in there. We take the sins that are out in society and we, that's like slimy, murky water. That's not somewhere where on Father's Day I'm going to go and set up a lawn chair and kick my feet up and toss in a line. I'm not, I'm not going fishing there. I'm not looking for for sale signs around the border so I can get me some lakefront property in the sea of forgetfulness. I mean, this if you've been by a stagnant pond before in the middle of summer, right? Does it smell? Yeah. Imagine for a moment the sea of forgetfulness is, is kind of like that, and God takes all of our sins and he deposits them at the bottom of the sea of forgetfulness. There's no way that I'm going diving in and swimming around in that lake. 
but the devil will strap on his goggles and snorkel and he'll put the flippers on his feet and he'll dive right in there and he will swim around in that sewer until he finds your sin and he will pull that back up and he will bring it right in front of you and say look at this how can you how dare you call yourself a christian with this in your past how dare you show up on sunday morning and raise your hand and praise god with those filthy lips what if your family knew what if your friends knew about what you did how dare you makes you start to feel guilty again he reinvents guilt in your life and you feel guilty all over again for sins that you thought God had forgiven you of and removed as far as the east is from the west. Those sins that he took and said, you know what, I'm going to put those on the cross and, and I'm going to throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. And Satan pulls them out and says, no, they're right here. You got to feel guilty about that. Let me explain something to you about guilt. God is not the creator of guilt. Guilt comes along with sin. My former pastor, Dan Boone, he's the president at Trevecca Nazarene University now. If I remember, I think this is an accurate remembering of what he said. He says that... Um, Guilt is like Limburger cheese. <laughs> the cheese and the smell come together. And he says that Satan has this slick trick and the devil has learned to produce the smell where there is no cheese. The devil has figured out a way to make you feel guilty about sin that is no longer there. And what happens when he resurrects this guilt in our life is it starts to confuse you. It starts, what happens is you start to build up a wall between you and God because you're feeling guilt uh, because you don't believe that you have been forgiven. And so now you start to question whether what God says is true or not. That's how the devil gets an inroad into your life, into your mind. And he's, he causes you to erect this barrier between you and God. And if that doesn't work, he goes swimming in this pond over here again, and he finds that sin, and he brings it to the surface and he cleans it up. He polishes it off. And he brings it back to you and like, hey, remember the good old days? You gotta try this again. Those were some good days, weren't they? Man, you miss that, don't you? And he tempts you to redo the things that you've already done and repented of and moved beyond. He knows where you're weak, he knows where you're vulnerable, and he's 
a master at making evil things look good. C.S. Lewis, he writes this book called The Screwtape Letters. And uh, he does a really good job of kind of personifying or painting this picture of of how uh, the devil and his minions work and, and get access to us. And so it's, uh, these are a series of letters that Uncle Screwtape writes. Um, and he's this upper echelon tempter in the world. And, and he writes these letters to Wormwood, his nephew, who is uh, kind of a, a junior rank tempter. And um, much of what his advice is is about... Um, keeping people distracted, uh, keeping church people focused on petty things, making sure that church people are more interested in preserving their preferences than in doing what Jesus would want them to do. Uncle Screwtape encourages Wormwood to, uh, to make his clients an embarrassment to their leader, Jesus. Uh, encourage gossip and half-truths and expose their hypocrisy and continually remind them of unresolved anger and their inability to forgive people. And then he says, if it does, if that, you know what, if, that, if all those things don't seem to be working, then, uh, then what you need to do is just rock them to sleep. Rock them to sleep. Apathy, complacency, laziness set in. And while you're doing that, give them a little spiritual sleeping pill. Knock them out. And when they're down for the count, we're going to go after their young ones. And when we get their young ones, We'll just let the church die of old age. A quote from the book that I thought was powerful, Uncle Screwtape writes, it doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge them away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than gambling, if gambling can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual, the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Rock them to sleep. The bad news is that we are under severe attack. And you need to be aware of it. The devil is trying to bring us, bring you, bring me down. And he's firing these flaming arrows at you. And the really scary thing is, is that he's so good at deception that lots of the time we have trouble seeing the evil behind it. But there's good news. Somebody say amen. amen. There we go. Jesus has already defeated the devil. The power of the devil is no match 
for the power of God. The good news, the good news is that God is strong and he wants to make you strong too. Paul says that when God makes us strong, we will be able to stand up, stand against, stand firm when the devil brings the attack to our door. You can resist. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have gone and, and the new have come. That's words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And, and what he is saying is that you are a new creature when you accept Christ into your life. You don't have to be shaped by the things that you were shaped by before. When you come to Christ, you can leave the old life behind and you can live into the new life that he has created for you and will help you live into by the power that he gives us through his Holy Spirit. God gives you everything that you need to stand up. We may be vulnerable, but we're not defenseless. We might be in peril, but you're not helpless. We might be at risk, but we're not unprotected. Paul says that we can stand up under the devil's attack. He uses the word stand four times in just a couple verses. So you look at verse 10, be strengthened by the Lord and his strength. Uh, verse 11, put on God's armor so that you can make a stand. Pick up the full armor of God, not all of it, not, not part of it, all of it. You don't get to pick and choose. I have a belt and helmet today. I'm going to leave the rest. I want to go light, mobile. No. Pick up the full armor of God, all of it. Put it on. So you can stand your ground. Now, now, the word stand there, there's four uses of the word stand. Three of them, Paul uses the same Greek word. This one right here in verse 13, so you can stand your ground, is a different version of the word. And it refers kind of um, to a victory stance, a victory posture. So, you know, at the end of a football game, you go into victory formation. You know what it looks like. It's taking the knee. That's actually kind of, that's pretty good theology right there when we're submitting to God and so forth. But it's a different version of the word stand, and it's, it's one that uh, maybe more appropriate would be how a boxer stands over somebody he's just knocked out. It's a different posture. It's the stance of winning, of victory. And God provides everything that we need. Paul says, armor up. You have all of the gear that you need to be prepared and stand up under the attack that's coming to your front door. Yeah. I was thinking as I was preparing this message, there's a, there's a phrase that's out there. I think it may be might even show up on a greeting card once in a while. Um, you might have even spoken these words out loud. 
And you probably spoke them while your heart was in the right place. But the words when they come out are just a total lie. So if you've spoken these words, I'm not picking on you. Not at all. Nowhere in my heart is there a desire to smack you down for something that you were trying to build somebody up and encourage somebody on. But somebody has probably told you in your life that God will not give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that before? I don't know how many people I have heard tell me that. Hey, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. That is just a load of the stuff that was in that pond over there. Think about it for a moment. If we didn't experience in life more than we can handle, would we ever need God? Don't you think that it's when we get to the border of of what we can do on our own and we find ourselves on the other side of that border, you know, when Peter was in the water walking on it, probably not knowing, I don't know how this is happening, and he looks around and he sees the wind and the waves and he figures, I'm a human, I can't walk on water. He sank. It was more than he could handle on his own. Jesus is the one who reached out his hand and gave him the strength to do that. Jesus was the one who gave him the ability and the strength to be able to step out of that boat and walk across the water. You in life will experience things that are way beyond what you can handle. And you ought to be grateful for that because that's when we turn to God. That's when we reach out and we yell, help me, save me. I can't do this on my own. God, you're going to have to help me. Paul is saying that when the attack of the devil comes upon us, it's way more than you can handle. You need the power of God in your life. You need the armor that he provides so that you can stand up underneath it. Paul uses this imagery of the Roman soldier put on the full armor of God. And Roman soldiers in Paul's day were were everywhere, you know, dressed in their full uniform, shiny helmet, you know, breastplate, you know, sword, shield, spear, whatever. Um, This was imagery that would have, I mean, it would have gotten right into the people's Minds. Okay, I can, I can picture that. You, we don't see Roman soldiers walking around the streets in, you know, in their gear of the day. You know, maybe we, uh, when I think about the full armor of God, I, I, uh, I brought it with me. I didn't decide not to bring it in, but I brought my whole bag of hockey equipment because that's what resonates with me. When I gear up for something, I think in terms of hockey, and uh, you may not. I mean, it's Western Washington. I don't think too many of you are hockey aficionados, but that's the sport I grew up with, and, um, and it works for me. You know, helmet and the shoulder pads and elbow pads and little pants you pull on and, and the shin guards, and you've got to armor up for that game. That's what I think about and Paul uses this physical armor as, this, as the imagery for spiritual army that, um, that God gives us this spiritual armor that, that we as believers use. And he talks about this, uh, the belt of truth. 
I mean, truth, it's one of our most basic virtues. And we live in this world that uh, fake news and rumors and gossip and deception and just flat-out lies, uh, there's a place. It's crucial that we are bearers and that we put on truth every day. Don't ever back down from the truth of the gospel of Jesus. He is the one who said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. We need to have that absolute truth in our lives as something that gives us a guide and a boundary and a, you know, it's like driving a stake into the ground. Don't back away from that. Stand firm in the truth that Jesus is. And then he says, put on the breastplate of justice or righteousness. And if you think about the breastplate right here, it's protecting really vital organs. Your heart is right behind that. You need to guard your heart and... Hmm. You know, Jesus' righteousness is credited to you by his work on the cross when you acknowledge him as your savior. And, and if you're seeking after Jesus and you're really trying to follow him, um, you're going to start to live in a more righteous way. You're going to do what Jesus does and you're going to go where he goes and you're going you're to look more and more like him and that's a righteous way of living. And, and when you're trying to follow in step with Jesus, that's a way to guard your heart. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of, of peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but this is a, a reminder that you know, harkens to the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about, is you gotta, you got to put shoes on your feet to go long distances. I ran a marathon, and a guy did it barefoot. Man, that was crazy. But when I go long distances, when we go on this backpacking trip, I want good, solid shoes for good footing and Paul uses this imagery, to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to travel some miles. It's not a real quick process, but you have to go out step by step by step and be patient. And it's a long journey towards making peace out in the world. You can have peace with God, and he wants you to, once you experience that peace with him, he wants you to extend that out into the world, into your relationships. Pick up the, fee, the, the shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield was kind of, it was large, and it was uh, kind of rectangular. And it was good for, you know, blocking arrows that would be fired at the soldiers. And, and another use, they would, uh, they would make this formation, and they could stand side by side by side. And if they put their shields out like this, they could make this wall, and it was almost impenetrable. And so what would happen a lot of times, they'd go into battle, and they'd put up this wall, and the enemy would wear themselves out trying to get through the wall. And once they were worn out, then the battle was basically over. Pick up the shield of faith. Find strength in the community of believers. Trust in God to save you and to protect you and to provide for all of your needs. And even in times when you feel like you're under severe attack, trust that God will protect you and give you the strength that you need. 
put on the helmet of salvation. You've got to protect your mind um, with the assurance that, that God has indeed saved you, that God has indeed forgiven you so that when Satan pulls that sin out of that slimy pond, you can laugh at him and say, you know what, you can go, I see you were swimming around in that sewer. Why don't you go back over there and dive in again because that's not who I am anymore. You've got to put the helmet of salvation on and protect your mind and be assured that God loves you and that God has forgiven you and that God will help you make a better way. Now, all up until that point, I was looking at all my hockey gear. Helmet, elbow pads, shoulder pads. I put it all on last night. Lisa took a picture. It'll probably show up on Facebook sometime. Please don't laugh. Think about all of that equipment. It's all defensive. It's all for protection. I don't play offense with my helmet. I don't play offense with my elbow pads or my shin guards. Now, they're with me when I'm playing offense, but those things, are their sole purpose is to protect me. All of the pieces of equipment so far in Paul's list have been for defensive and protective purposes. There's only one offensive thing that he mentions, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's indispensable. You've got to carry your sword around. Now, we've got to think about the sword in a really careful way. Paul's talking about the truth of the Word of God, the boundaries, the coordinates for our thoughts and behaviors. That's, that's what he's talking about here. I'd go a bit further and suggest that I don't think Paul is yet talking about the Bible in, in the same form that we have. He's talking about the Word of God, but not necessarily uh, the Bible. And Christians are famous for using the sword to cut people down, to bludgeon people over the head with it. We're famous for that. Because we read a passage like this, and we oh, this is our offensive weapon, and we just whack people with it. If, it, if that's happened to you... I'm sorry. That's not, that's not why God gave us these words. Paul's talking about the proclamation of the word, of the gospel of peace. Speaking God's truth out loud to people. You need to take the word of the Lord and you need to claim it, you need to read it, you need to remember it, you need to declare it for yourself so the places where it says God loves you and God forgives you, you need to declare that for yourself and for other people and you need to hold it up and rub it in the devil's face when he brings the guilt back to you or whatever the temptation or whatever it is that he's after you on, you need to hold this up and say no, that's not who I am. That's how you use the sword of the Spirit. All right, so we're, we're coming to the end of our time. 
we're all dressed for battle, right? So we got all this armor on. Now you would think that it would be time to fight. Yes. You know, my, my hockey gear worked really well in this. You know, I'm ready for a fight. Let's drop the gloves and let's... I never did that. <laughs> uh, metaphors break down at some point everywhere. So hockey gear may not be the best to talk about peace and such things. But, you know, you get to this point, you're all geared up and ready to go. You feel like, hey, I should just go out and get in some rumble. Take the, take the game right to the devil and smack him down. And Paul says, this is really important. Here's, this is how you fight. This is how you fight. Verse 18, circle it, underline it, highlight it, write it down, memorize it. Offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. Stay alert by hanging in there and praying for all believers. We fight through prayer. We fight by more prayer. We don't fight by gossiping and taking shots at other people. We fight by praying for them. I knew I wouldn't get an amen there because that's, that's so hard. That's so hard. We don't fight by shoving our morals down other people's throats. We don't fight by judging others. We don't fight by condemning people. We don't fight by depersonalizing and dehumanizing people who think differently than us. We fight by praying for them. Hmm. We fight by submitting to God. We fight by being peacemakers. It's good news. It is. Can I just encourage you this morning? I know life is hard. I know, I know living out your faith in every circle that you travel in is hard. I know that responding in love and not anger is a challenge. I know that there's battles when, when we are confronted with forgiving other people. And I know that temptations are strong and in our face all of the time. And the devil is so deceptive. He's so good at what he does. But God, but God's power is greater than all of that. And he's given you everything that you need to stand firm. You can do it. You can do it. We, collectively, can do it. One of my daily prayers as your pastor is that, is that God would fill you with his strength so that you can stand up against everything that you face on a daily basis. I pray that God would grant you the wisdom that you need to be able to discern and see the evil 
that the devil is trying to hide on you. I ask that he would give us the vision so that we could, it would be blatantly obvious, okay, the devil's coming here, from right here. And he's coming in this way, packaged like this. Strength and wisdom. And I pray that you would be able to use, know the sword of the Spirit, read it, memorize it, and that you would be able to use it in a way that's both loving and graceful. And like Paul said in verse 18, and I pray that you too will offer prayers and petitions in the Spirit all the time. The people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.